From the US to Europe, an international podcast breaking down structured credit one tranche at a time. Welcome to The Last Tranche, Credit Flux's bi-monthly podcast discussing CLOs and all things structured credit. I am your host and reporter with Credit Flux, Hugh Minch. Hello and welcome to a new episode of The Last Tranche and I'm joined today by Tapan Jain, a Portfolio Manager at Hildeen Capital Management responsible for CLO Investments. Thank you for joining us, Tapan. How are you? Good. How are you, Hugh? Thanks for having me. I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, so I wanted to start today by talking about uh, rescue financing. So this is a pocket of the credit markets that was historically off limits for CLOs. Uh, but that started to change in the last year. So I suppose to start with some background, um, could you uh, elaborate on what happened in 2020 that started to change the way that CLO managers and investors think about uh, rescue financing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you know, you know, last year was a year with a decent amount of distress. Um, we saw a lot of uh, credits having issues. As a result, you know, defaults happened. Um, as these credit went, credits went through a, a reorg process, we saw a few things. And what's interesting here is how the CLO documentation played a role in uh, in giving in in providing this ability to getting for senior creditors to get primed. Um, a lot of you know distressed funds and sponsors that were involved in the space. Um, you know, we're providing solutions to these companies and providing capital potentially um, as they were coming out of bankruptcy in a format that would make the senior creditors um, junior to them. Um, and one of the reasons that could happen is because CLO documents didn't contemplate a, a, a situation where you needed to put in additional capital. Currently, the way the CLO documents are written, or at least were written as of 2020, um, was that you couldn't provide add-on capital that didn't come in any other format outside of a dip. Um, uh, and in that, in, that, in that regards, the CLOs were at a disbenefit. And in order to change the documents, as you know, Hugh, you would have to go and you know, get 100% of the note holders to consent um, um, to, for, for the documents to, to get amended for that to happen. Um, and obviously, there's some you know, there's some conflicts of interest there um, in getting that consent. So, you know, what Hildeen um, decided to do was provide a solution to that problem. And the way we did it was outside of the CLO structure. And we went to the managers and said, you know, how about um, providing this add-on capital um, through outside the structure through a JV participation where we can provide this capital for, um, for any number of your deals um, on you know, and we did it on a manager by manager basis. Um, what that gave the CLO the ability to do is participate in these add-on, and as a result, improve the ultimate recovery that they would get as a senior note holder. Um, and so that's that's what led us to setting up this, uh, you know, these vehicles, if you will, and provide um, provide the solution. So I'll, we'll get into more detail about your JV a little bit later on. Um, but I suppose maybe thinking back to the period um, immediately post the 2008 recession and I guess through the last credit cycle um, that came to an end very quickly with COVID, um, why wasn't this issue on the radar so much? 
Yeah, and that's a that's a pretty unique problem to this time around. And I mean, it's happened in the past as well a little bit. But I think part of the issue is that, you know, is 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 we've talked about this um, in the CLO markets a decent amount about having, you know, Covlight loans, right? And as there's been an increase in Covlight, um, covenant light nature of the loans, um, there was this ability within the documents to get primed um, historically you know the 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 prevalence of of covlight was lower in nature you know, within the portfolios and as a result some of these um, priming uh, solutions couldn't be provided to creditors and as a result uh, to the to the companies and as a result creditors were in stronger positions especially the senior creditors were in stronger positions as the CLO market has grown and as the docs have gotten looser this has become an issue right I see so if we think back to 2020 there was as you said already an uptick in credit defaults although thankfully many um, it was smaller than many people predicted at the start of the crisis I think the Acosta bankruptcy is the one that's most associated with this issue, but there are, of course, others as well. Given your seat at the table, how did you find CLOs a disadvantage to, you know, relative to other types of lender and workout scenarios in practice? Yeah, and we we can we can talk about a specific example here. Um, you know, one of Cirque du Soleil as a let's use that as an example, and I can kind of walk you through what happened there. Um, you know, essentially. As it was coming out of bankruptcy, um, or in order to come out of bankruptcy, it needed to um, recap. It needed to recapitalize, and it needed to restructure its its uh, its capital structure. Um, as a result, um, what we've seen is that um, in in the case of Cirque, um, the original proposal um, was was for someone to provide the bridge financing, or um, in, and in return. Um, get control of the of of the of the ownership of Cirque du Soleil. Um, what what ended up happening is that um, the committee, which consisted of senior creditors as well, uh, primarily CLO note holders um, or CLO managers, I should say, um, had the ability to provide the add-on capital and in return um, get you know get higher recoveries and the way it was done was in the following format the existing loan would have been dissolved which was um the and let's call that the pre-petition loan and the pre-petition loan was about 850 million in size um post-petition there would be uh, a new loan that was created by the add-on capital which would be first lien um, that would be uh, funded by the people putting in the additional capital, and that would be the first lien term loan, which came out in the size of about roughly 316 million in this case, um, paying a certain coupon, and it came at an OID. Um, so, to the to the providers of additional capital, not only did you get that first lien loan um, in lieu of that additional capital, you also got equity attached to it, and there was about 70% of equity attached to the the members that were putting in the additional capital and for and for members that were on the committee they would get an additional 15 percent of of equity so essentially getting 85 percent of of the equity attached to the to the loans now the the reorg equity is essentially an incentive 
that comes attached to putting in the additional capital. So in the future, if you think that the company is going to be worth, is going to reemerge out of bankruptcy, and you know, in this case, obviously, it's you know, it, once reopening happens and COVID uh, normal, you know, COVID situation normalizes. Um, you would you would expect the company to start being profitable again. The Rio equity could actually have a decent amount of value, hence um, increasing uh, the recovery on the the ultimate recovery on your initial investment. Not only that, um, if you actually put in the additional capital, you were getting you know you were getting the the uh, a better recovery on your on your existing loan as well, um, and the existing loan. Uh, was also getting some reorg equity attached to it. So overall, what you know, what in in this situation, what you see is that if the haves and the have-nots, right? So if you did not put in the additional capital, your recovery would be much much lower than having put in the capital. So it became very very clear and very necessary for someone to provide that additional capital as a senior note holder um, to to benefit from it and to make sure that the ultimate recovery to the CLOs was was reasonably high. So yeah, that's definitely really interesting to think of this in as on a you know uh, how it relates to CLO performance. Obviously, there's you know a lot of different counterparties to the CLO. There's the equity investors, there's the debt investors. Um, what are some of the implications of of this for you know for CLO performance? Look, I mean, where this if you held this specific credit, for example, in, in any size or any reasonable size in a CLO and you were expecting in a normal, you know, as a senior creditor, normally, you know, you're expecting anywhere from 60 to 70 percent recovery um, without having participated. I think the recovery would have been much lower. Um, Having participated and having, you know, uh, a share of the the upside, you 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 would have had a recovery closer or even better than in in and depending on obviously how the company reemerges out of bankruptcy, uh, given the nature of given the equity nature of the the restructuring, um, you could have had a much higher recovery. So it it's clearly beneficial from that standpoint for the equity investors, but I'd say it's really beneficial for the debt investors as well. In a deal where you have high triple C's and defaults happening, Recovery starts playing a huge role for for all debt investors, and it, as it erodes, you know, um, OC ratios, and as as well as you know, um, uh, the credit enhancement below you. So I think it's something that um, we believe that it should be a focus for the market on a go forward basis, um, and and the docs should provide for having this ability to provide this capital because it benefits all note holders of the CLOs. Yeah. So I was just wondering if you could get into a little bit more into uh, some of the conversations that you're having with the CLO debt investor community. How have their views on workouts evolved over this period? Obviously, these kinds of restrictions are intended to to protect them in some way. So I was wondering if you could, yeah, how have, the, how have their views evolved on this topic? Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, obviously, the you know every time these kind of things happen, I think the docs get better and stronger in a CLO, um, and, and we've seen that, right? I mean, through 2008, um, docs got stronger and more um, uh, more normalized. I would say more indexed in in a lot of ways in order to make sure that you know there was some cohesiveness from deal to deal, um, and that docs looked similar in some format. That happened the last time around through the crisis. Um, this time around, I think we've come out with the with 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 the fact that you know there are going to be occasions where CLO is going to have to have the ability to put in additional capital and 
overall, it's beneficial for the CLO to do so. Now, what we're seeing today is that when, when this language is going in, we're seeing some push and pull between debt holders and equity holders in terms of how those docs are written and putting in some kind of limitation in, in terms of percentage of the collateral pool where you have the ability to do so. And, and that kind of makes sense. You know, you want the debt investors to have the ability to say, look, we don't want a certain percentage of this pool to be, you know, more than the what what we're calling today restructured obligations, right? Um, and and so, you know, there there are limits that are getting put in place in the documents, which makes sense. Um, and over time, what you'll see is that these documents are going to get pretty normalized on that front as well in terms of having this language in every document on a go forward basis and having, you know, for the managers to have to some extent the ability to put in additional capital. Um, obviously, the managers are going to have to um, make the decisions accordingly. I think it, it, from a manager perspective, I would think it makes sense to do so where they think there is a true benefit for putting additional capital, i.e. that it truly enhances ultimate recovery uh, on the credits that they originally invested in that are coming out of bankruptcy. So uh, let's talk about your joint venture. Um, I believe we first reported this in Credit Flux back in December. Um, but uh, just to elaborate a little bit on what you explained um, earlier on, could you explain um, a little bit to our listeners about your JV, uh, what it's called and how it works? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's simply a JV structure that we've put together for um, as a solution to the problem that we just discussed, right? Um, and the way we we set it up, and there's, I think there's many solutions to the problem, and I think they're all different in their own format and 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 probably just as good. Um, the way we thought about it, and we were one of the early ones on this to come out with it, um, we we just we wanted to come up with something that was that would be um, quick to execute in terms of timing, um, because it become, because you know the amount of time you had to react to the proposals that were put in place um, it, within the ad hoc committee or within the committees coming out of bankruptcy, the time was pretty short. So we we wanted to come up with something that could be done quickly and could be done in a format where it it benefited all investors in the CLOs. And so what we proposed was something that was outside the structure. It was a JV with the manager. It gave them the access to do this across all of their deals to the extent that they wanted to do it. Um, and, and we didn't necessarily have to be an investor in all those deals. What we were providing was a solution and we were willing to share the upside and the benefit of that with all CLOs. And the reason we wanted to do that is really simply to, you know, to protect the interest of the CLO market. And the way we viewed it is that, from our perspective, it was really important to do that as big in, as big CLO equity investors in the marketplace. Um, it was really important to kind of, you know, put our foot down and say, "Look, there is a solution to this problem. We don't want other guys priming us just because of the covlight nature of the loans or whatever, you know, the way the CLO docs might have been written." Um, and to get to the market in a in a fast format. Um, and, um, and, and, and we were able to provide add-on capital, like we talked about in, 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 uh, in various credits, um, to various deals. Um, so it was, it was being done through this one vehicle per manager, uh, um, and we were able to provide that solution in that format. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this kind of SPV is a feature of the TRUP CDO market. Um, how have you adapted the structure to make it work for CLOs? 
Yeah, so we have a lot, as, as you know, we have a, at Hildeen have a long history of doing this, um, these types of things in order to make sure that a specific structure in a market is protected from um, kind of any bad faith um, sort of uh, um, things happening in the marketplace. Um, and, you know, that we basically took the same approach, right? At the end of the day, it's really looking through the same lens of how can we find a solution to a problem and work within the parameters of the structure that's available to us to provide that solution. And and that's how this this came into being is, is sort of looking through the same exact lens um, of, okay, our first reaction was how can we do it through the documents with, with you know, minimal, um, need for um, uh, approvals. Obviously, that can't be the case here, given the nature of how um, it, it's been, how the docs are written. And so we started thinking about it um, through a format that could be outside of the structure and where CLO managers had the ability to say yes or no, right? At the end of the day, they have a fiduciary responsibility to all their node holders. And, and they had a, they had, you know, some amount of uh, ability to say, look, we like the idea. We think it's, it's really um, beneficial to all, all node holders. And the way we set up the economics, um, it was really beneficial to all node holders. We, we wanted to do it in, on a good faith basis. Again, our, our, you know, incentives here were to make sure that the CLO market as a whole was protected. And that that's kind of how we, we did things on the Trump's market as well. Um, and so that's kind of the same approach that we took here. Yeah. How's this different from a sidecar, which I know is one of the more commonplace solutions to the same issue? Yeah. I mean, again, it goes back to the speed of execution point that I made. Um, one of the key factors was really getting to do this in a quick format. Um, sidecar, would be on a deal by deal basis, whereas here you could essentially do it across multiple deals through this one structure um, uh, per manager. Um, so that was kind of the one one benefit. And then there's, from what I understand of like, you know, how the sidecars were set up and some of the other um, solutions were set up, there is a function there where you're 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 going through the waterfall in order to do that, and in a in an outside case, there is a possibility that you don't get your money back as a as a as the person putting in the add on add on capital. In our situation, in in this in the solution that we provided, um, it was away from the waterfall, so that that wasn't never going to be a, an issue. So there were a couple of things that, from a structural pr perspective, that were beneficial as well. And um, this vehicle, since you can participate in workouts on a on a case by case basis, uh, what limitations are still tend to remain on the manager? Yeah, look, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, some of the limitations from a manager perspective is that if we decided not to provide the additional capital for a specific credit, um, there, you know, the manager manager wouldn't be able to participate there. But then in those instances, they could potentially go and uh, tap into those in, into a sidecar solution if they so wanted to do that. Um, but generally, our approach was that we would we would be uh, generally willing to do it if there was a, a true benefit um, to the in, to all investors, right? I.e., that providing the solution had a true upside um, in in the ultimate recovery. Um, so, you know, I think that that's kind of the limitation from a manager perspective, as far as I can see it. And the strategy, I think I'm correct in saying it's not limited to CLOs where Hildeen has an equity investment. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's right. So like I said, I mean, we were trying to provide a solution to all deals and it's really up to the manager which deals they wanted to participate in. And in certain cases, the deals could participate. Certain deals were out of the reinvestment period and couldn't participate. Um, it just depended on the structure in which um, the reorg was happening. Like I said, if it happened in a dip format, um, deals that were within their restruct uh, reinvestment periods could potentially participate. If it was happening outside of the dip format, then I think there were further limitations even for deals that were within reinvestment periods. So what we wanted to do is provide that solution to all deals so that all node holders could benefit across the CLO universe. Um, so you mentioned that the advantage of this is that you know it's 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 very quick. Uh, what are some of the other strategies that have emerged that the market's come up with in the last year or so? Uh, you mean with regards to rescue financing or just in general? Uh, just with regards to rescue financing. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think I think these are kind of the the big ones. Um, you know, outside of this, we haven't. Quite honestly, there hasn't been a ton of, um, we would have thought there would have been more um, defaults and obviously more of this restructuring happening, um, especially given how many triple C downgrades that took place. But I think, you know, given the nature of how the recovery has been, um, the, the, the distressed element or the reorg element of things, uh, default element of things has been um, lower than expected. Um, you know, we expect this market to keep evolving and there obviously will be some idiosyncratic defaults in the future and we'll have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis on in terms of how we provide a solution it's kind of hard to tell today you know what might change and how that and how the market might adapt to things um but you know the ultimate solution providers are creative and that's how we kind of view this so in terms of uh, where things are in the market today currently, there's clearly a huge demand for CLOs, the CLO equity, CLO debt. Um, how do you assess investment opportunities today? Yeah, look, our approach, and I, I think this kind of ties into what we talked about on the rescue financing as well. In an investment regime where everyone is singularly focused on scalable investment opportunities, we at Hildeen are asking a different question, which is, what are the inefficiencies left behind in a market obsessed with scale? And how can we provide a solution um, to those problems, right? And, and from that perspective, uh, in the current environment, we think that the, the value of the structure and the value of the options embedded in CLO structures is being mispriced. And this brings us to what we think is attractive today, which is, you know, uh, investments in CLO equity where the refinancing option or the reset option is is essentially being mispriced um, or not fully being priced. And, you know, I, I'm sure you hear that from a lot of people, but I, there's a nuance to it. And one of the nuances is how you find a solution to to maximize the value of that option, right? So I'll give you an example. In in terms of the refinancing option market, you know, there uh, there's a there's a few deals where um, I think if you were to ask the, uh, a generic, you know, investor in the market about a certain deal, a certain number of deals, they'd say, yeah, there's value in the refinancing option. But, you know, we think that the value of the option is X. Uh, we at Hildeen have taken a different approach, which is, okay, how can we make that, you know, worth X plus Y? Um, and, and it's really 
you know, finding a solution to that. And so I'll give you an example of how we've done that in a specific deal. We've gone and said, okay, how about in order to make that refinancing option more valuable, how about we end the reinvestment period slightly early? So it's essentially shortening the reinvestment period. It requires 100% consent of the note holder, of the equity note holders, but we've gone and done that um, because we thought the marginal value of having a longer reinvestment period was smaller than having um, you know, tighter spreads on the on on the on the triple A's or double A's or single A's part of the cap cap stack that we could refinance in today's marketplace. And as a result, we're able to maximize that value. So it's it's really being creative around how to maximize that value. And similarly, on the reset side, we've done similar things where we've worked with managers. You know, at times those reset options weren't in the money and we've worked with managers in, in in figuring out a way to if there were incentive incentive fees that were in the money we figured out a way to postpone those incentive fees to pay at a later date and put that in you know put that reset option in the money um and so we've we've basically thought about you know those kind of structuring elements and figuring out a solution um in order to make that option you know more valuable, um, and so we think that that opportunity in the current marketplace is, is very interesting, and and there is a decent amount of opportunity in in that specific type of investments. That's very interesting. I mean, historically, I'm you know, thinking back to when the market was able to gather pre-COVID, but it did seem like there was more of a consensus from equity investors that the longer reinvestment period was the better re- uh, the better deal to be in. But it's interesting to hear counter argument. Yeah, it's really about tweaking around the the reinvestment periods versus the value of the of the of the financing, right? And and if and there is a break even there. So as long as you can kind of model that out and look at the break evens, you can figure out a a, a mechanism where that option is is in the money and and worth more. Um, and obviously, it, it obviously depends on where you can purchase those options. So your entry price matters. But I I believe in the current marketplace, those entry prices are attractive. Well, um, Tapan, it was really great to have you as a guest on the last tranche uh, this week. It was really uh, fascinating to hear all your thoughts about workout finance. And yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, likewise. Pleasure to talk to you, Hugh. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the last tranche. If you like our show and want to know more, subscribe to Credit Flux and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share our content.